I don't know if this is obvious. I'm not a Marvel fan. I couldn't care less about the golden age of Marvel Comics, the silver age of Marvel Comics, or whether the Winter Falcon should have been the Winter Soldier. I definitely messed it up. I don't care. But I do have to be honest, I'm realizing just how much this podcast feels like a Marvel movie, and I am coming to the end of this cycle. Things are starting to make sense. What I started last year in the middle of a pandemic is wrapping up to two final offerings. Maybe with a little bit more clarity, maybe with a little bit more confidence, because I get to look back and think, of course, this is what I've been trying to say all along. So thank you for being a part of this journey with me. Thank you for being a part of the support. This podcast isn't going anywhere, but one thing I'm realizing is this is what it was all coming up to. This is Infinity War. This is new problems. The spiritual gift of encouragement. A missionary is an evangelist, a zealot, an amateur colonizer, sharing a gospel somewhere not nearby to people not their own. My father, Eric Woner, was a missionary, Baptist. He was from Milwaukee, the son of a single mom, a black American married with three young kids. Selling used cars during his years in seminary in the Pacific Northwest. By the grace of his God, he received his calling to be a church planting missionary. And then he got on the road. We wandered America in a used blue Toyota minivan for two years. I was between five and seven. We loaded the van and bounced from Holiday Inn to Days Inn to the Motel 6. We were on mission from God, but first, we needed money. So we visited Baptist Church after Baptist Church and then went to the next, giving a presentation to each congregation. They had names like First Baptist Church, or Grace Baptist Church, or Calvary Baptist Church. Once, we even found the Second Baptist Church. At its simplest, a Baptist is distinct in the litter of Christian denominations because they do not baptize babies. Only the child, woman or man, who claims that Jesus of Nazareth is actually Jesus the Christ, humanity's sole savior and king. Baptists in America, however, discovered their aesthetic through trial and error. Sears catalogs and collective memories of barn raises and cakewalks. I saw enough Baptist churches in those years to have seen them all, with tiny communion cups and copper-painted tins dusted off on the first Sunday of the month, and gymnasiums for youth groups next to kitchens with massive canteens of coffee. There is no outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church, mostly just an overflow of leftover generic Mountain Dew. In Baptist churches, I learned how to make a layup with my left hand, learned the great hymns of the Protestant faith, and to fear a future with the mark of the beast, and perhaps more so, the Clintons. Eric Warner was a good preacher. Just as important, he was a good Baptist, no matter if he was visiting upstate New York or dairy farms in Wisconsin or apple orchards in eastern Washington, my father possessed three go-to sermons. These were his stump speeches, his bread and butter, his sermons on the mount. He prepared for two services. The first is where my father gave his A speech. This was his money maker, his best attempt to preach the full gospel to fighting fundamentalist. If they agreed he was up to the task for saving souls, 
the churches would vote and agree to become monthly supporters of his mission to our final destination, New York City. The Warner slogan was a good one, reach all the world in New York City. Whenever I tell people my parents were missionaries to New York now, they're not imagining the city we knew it, and definitely not the one Baptist heard about on World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. My father was not proposing preaching the gospel to Lena Dunham in coffee shops before Kundalini classes. This might have been an asset. The horror the city evoked backed up his claim that New York needed missionaries, which included himself. New York City was notorious. To the sweet folks of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, or Madison, Wisconsin, or Bumblefuck, Oregon, New York City may as well have been Fallujah with the morals of San Francisco. The Woners were a chance to get a young black American family on their church's missionary roster. We were a compelling pitch. Which is not to say my father did not have to bring his A-game. These were congregations of whites washed in the atoning blood of the Lamb and hours of Rush Limbaugh. The American Baptists of a certain age and era were not there at the A-service to learn. They were there to watch. My father couldn't mess around. My father arrived with a literal translation of a Bible and an orthodox interpretation of the text and a decent suit and tie. Because people in the army of God aren't there to mess around either. But as it so happened, Eric Woner was a Baptist preacher and he was there to play ball, drop gloves, return holy fire. He knew enough hermeneutics to understand context is everything. Connecting with people means connecting with people in the rhythms and tones they're ready for. So during the most segregated hour in America, he opened his A speech like a veteran. He proposed the church start with a game. A good old-fashioned sword drill. In the letter to the church in Ephesus, the original Christian missionary Paul describes the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. A sword drill is just a Bible search. The fastest person to find the verse would be the winner. My father would tell the crowd a chapter and verse. The church would raise their Bibles, repeat the verse back to them, and he would say, charge. The first person to find it would stand and read the verse to the room. This was a Sunday school game. Except, the seconds after my father announced there would be a sword drill, the room would stiffen, laugh, or lean in. This was not good Christian fun. This was an inquisition. Suddenly, those who'd brought their fattest King James Bible wished they were heathens by using the little complimentary pew Bible in the front row. Obviously, some swapped their Bible for a more convenient one. The memory of these moments of waiting to hear the first verse in those rooms is logged into my memory. Because Grace Baptist Church or First Baptist Church or Second Baptist Church would be transformed from the body of Christ to the Colosseum. The room raised their swords like torches and waited. My father began... Habakkuk 2-4. They repeated. Habakkuk 2-4. Charge. Pages would flip through the silence. And someone would shoot up. Let's call her Julie. 
she began, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. People groaned, gathered themselves, bent their arms just a little closer to their laps for the next time. They got ready for the next verse. My father continued, Galatians 3.11. They repeated Galatians 3.11. Charge. Fluttering pages through the silence again, just a little bit more urgency this time. And then one shoots up, a balding man, probably a deacon, reading. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. This happened two more times. Romans 1.17 For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is where the game concluded, which is where my father began. Does God stutter? Did God mouth off through his team of holy men babbling No. This was 25 years ago. This happened dozens and dozens of times. The same sword the same joke, Julian the Jeekins on the other side of a Toyota ride after Toyota ride. This was 25 years ago. My father convinced enough Baptists to fund his tiny church in Queens. The rest is another story for another therapist. For all I need to unlearn about my childhood with the Baptist. I guess I just assumed people knew all this, but they don't. So here we are today, in a pandemic, debating what percentage blood clot is too high for a vaccine, waiting for juries to do the right thing and not set the world into a social justice panic. Wherever you are, whatever is keeping you up at night, Whatever is keeping you vexed, the sword drill is saying the same thing. The just shall live by faith. Once upon a time, I dated a woman. On a random night, she spotted another woman dance, honest to goodness, no closer than three feet away from me, on a makeshift dance floor at a beer and cider festival. I did not notice this other woman because she was not close to me. My lady friend, however, flared like a missile. Her reaction was so viscerally over the top, I was flattered. It was the nicest thing anyone had ever done for me. It was so unnecessary for reasons I calmly explained. Lady, I'm wearing baggy khakis and bright red Georgia. I'm skinny. I have a bald head like a grandpa on a stoop. No one is at all interested in me except you. And of course, the festival wasn't ruined because I could just get more beer. But her theatrics taught me a lesson. 
I honestly can't date someone that wouldn't throw a punch for me. You never have to throw a punch. I don't want you to throw the punch. I just have to suspect that you have the guts, the spirit, and the tenacity to do it. This podcast has been many things over the last year, but it's clear I believe in throwing a punch for the people I love. We've talked about this. Bridgetown Church, Portland's monastic center of charismatic life, was dancing with my pastor Tyler. Which is fair. Like my buddy Tim in Minnesota concluded, the kingdom of God doesn't have a non-compete clause. Tyler can dance with whomever he wants. But if you've ever been in love, you understand what loving looks like on a dance floor. And if life is a dance floor and God is a DJ and love is the music, practically speaking, Bridgetown Church was dancing with my pastor. So I'm going to have to make a fist. Thankfully, in my faith tradition now, I have an advocate called the Holy Spirit. In the still, small voice of a little perspective, having received news of Tyler's announcement that he was leaving my church, Oaks Church, Brooklyn, I may as well have been at a beer and cider festival. But I was not alone. My fingers could unfurl and I could make tea and ponder the Holy Ghost simple questions. Robert, what if everyone is doing their best? What if there's no conspiracy, no disrespect, no collusion? What if the kingdom of God isn't a predatory business? What if this is just a new chapter of new problems for you and everyone involved? My podcast, An Unauthorized Oral History of the Will of God, is my favorite episode I've ever done because it's the furthest away from the episode I imagined myself doing. Because I'm not Baptist. We, on the Bridgetown Church wing of Christianity, are contemplative charismatics. And so I have to make a little space for the voice of God. But once I've learned and loosened my fist and accepted that all things work together for good, I have to make space for a little accountability. I've been a New Yorker for 25 years and I've learned a punk song or two. I have to make a little space to ask, how did we get here? I can fairly conclude Tyler leaving is not good. I cannot lie to you, and more importantly, I cannot lie to myself. If you expect, I listened to a recording of a sermon from a Baptist megachurch in Texas. A lay leader described 600 small and rural churches in the Southern Baptist Convention shutting down because of COVID. Let me say that again. Churches shutting down in Texas. That doesn't even feel sociologically possible, but that's reality. That's noticing. That's being accountable to the sign of the times. I can't sprinkle religious-sounding pleasantries over food that's rotting in the refrigerator and then be asked to eat it. I'm not going to do it. I have to make a little space for accountability. What's in the fridge? Is the fridge plugged in? Do I need to take another scoop when I know it's making me sick? I have witnessed and participated in the industry of religion and spirituality since I was five. I've seen too much to take another bite. And as I write this, I'm listening to the New York Yankees on the radio, and there's an ad by the Archbishop of the Catholic Church in New York City asking people to come to church on Sunday. The only thing with more name recognition than the New York Yankees may be the Catholic Church. 
I've been listening to baseball games on the radio for 25 years. And guess what? The Catholics shouldn't be taking out 15-second radio spots. But that's where we are. Because this is real. This is noticing. This is taking some accountability. And let me save you some of the trauma. Churches die. So we've got to notice. And notice when it's happening. But more scary than just churches dying is something more frightening. Churches die and stick around long enough for no one to care. The problem with Christianity being humanity's most popular religion is that humanity doesn't have to do a whole lot new to seem entirely Christian. PBS just released a documentary on the black church in America. There's been 400 years of black-ass Christianity on this continent. No social media strategy or pastors and expensive sneakers is going to change the basic Christian operation. As long as there's a cross in the front of the room, there's going to be a collection plate. Church is going to be an hour or so of a program with announcements, a sermon, lackluster coffee, and the occasional church picnic. It doesn't matter if that picnic has Welch's grape juice or orange natural wines and Greenpoint. Christianity is 2,000 years old with a starter kit anyone can access. The more we understand that starter kit, the harder it is not to just keep using it. It's opening Blue Apron and calling yourself a chef and wondering why no one is really interested in coming to your restaurant. Once the sword drill was over, my father's stump speech could begin. It was from Numbers 13. Here's the background. The children of Israel, through a series of cosmic unfortunate events against the Egyptians, depending on your point of view, are released out of slavery in Egypt, got into their blue Toyota minivans, and puttered their way into the brave new world of following God into the desert on their way to a promised land. This was not an easy drive. The Israelites were a generation of slaves born to generations of slaves. The promised land was such an esoteric notion, Moses, their humble and faithful leader, proposed a sensual but unfortunate notion to send spies to see what this promised land was actually like. This was a permissible idea, executed by the wrong people. The spies returned and we're not happy. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I cannot speak to the physical properties of the descendants of Anak, of Nephilim. And yes, sometimes your eyes deceive you. But sometimes your eyes are just so right. The Anak don't mess around. They dance with your girl at the cider festival. And you've just got to take two steps back tip your cap, and see if they have a song request. The children of Israel were vexed. The Hebrew Bible accounts that when they heard the report that night, the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. 
all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I sympathize. Losing a senior pastor, along with a worship pastor, after a pandemic, in a city where churches start, have a good first season, two or three mediocre ones, before they're canceled, is staring at the ANAC and not being completely sure the starter pack included this scenario. Take my word for it. It didn't. Fear is belief you don't know what to do with. The Israelites are at the cusp of the first day of the rest of their lives, and it is so not how we imagined. I can't blame them. What they needed was my father in a Baptist church doing his sword drill because he'd make the case that I'm making today. The just shall live by faith. I caucus with spiritual people and more specifically, spiritual Christians. Yes, there are Christians in America that are more moral conservatives, but then there's some Christians in the Jedi Knights of the New Republic sense. I caucus with these people. They trained me. They baptized me. They taught me everything I know. We may as well be in Star Wars stretching out our hands like Baby Yoda. But no matter what your faith is, spiritual people do spiritual things. And sometimes they do these things by faith, which makes sense. Ask anyone at Oak Church Brooklyn to pray for you or lay hands on you or ask God for a word specifically for you. And we're all in. We can draw you a picture, speak in tongues, at the very least, make you a playlist of the denomination's greatest hits. We open prayer spaces on Grand Avenue by faith. We play Duck Duck Prophecy by faith. We pray on rugs in the front of the church by faith. We are spiritual people doing spiritual things, and that's what makes church feel awesome. This is our training. This is the sandbox we play in. I'm not apologizing for that. Faith is such a foundational piece of Christianity, it's easy to assume it's happening in Christianity. It's really not. Religion is actually just religion. And the just don't live by their beliefs. It's really honest to think that the invitation is not how we think or even our beliefs or creeds. The invitation is to examine how we live. Faith cannot be a part of of just a spiritual life because the just live by faith. I need ordinary life, regular life, regular shit done by faith. I know folks, people I love who would fast for 30 days because they want to find a life and they want to find a wife and they want to find a future. And they want to find a career. They will fast and pray, fast and pray, sing a song and fast and sleep. They will pray, be prayed for, make list of Bible verses with everything related to everything regarding marriage or career or their future. But they don't have a LinkedIn. They won't download Bumble. They won't do any regular thing that would make their answered prayer possible. 
So if I have to update the teaching my father gave to those Baptist churches all those years ago, it's really simple. The just shall swipe by faith. And when the just see someone they're interested in, the just swipe right by faith. And when you're only getting Trump voter after Trump voter after Jim selfie after Jim selfie, the just shall pay for premium services on Bumble to avoid the riffraff by faith. The just shall make a date and show up early and text if they had a good time by faith. Because ordinary life needs faith you can live by, not a belief that's just sitting on the shelf. There's a whole industry of words like manifest or visualize or vision board. All sorts of wonderful things that simply require an active imagination. Life needs you to be more than active, though. People's capacity to dream has to be proportional to people's willingness to live by faith. I want to live alone by my 33rd birthday because I want to host a cappuccino crawl and start it at my apartment, which means last New Year's Eve, I didn't make a vision board. I didn't manifest anything. I didn't journal or make a list. I actually just looked for a credit card and looked at my credit and calculated how much more I needed to make in 2021. By faith, I apply for a credit card. By faith, I think about my credit. By faith, I dig out my calculator from under my bed. Because a spiritual life, doing spiritual things can be spectacular and that feels satisfying. But I'm actually arguing that life doesn't need to be spectacular. I just need it to be supernatural. And a supernatural life happens by faith. I pray your swiping is supernatural. Your creating is supernatural. Your business is supernatural. The just shall update their resume by faith. The just make a website and a portfolio and message the companies they want to work for by faith. The just make a budget by faith. This all means the just figure out the parts of their life that can happen when they step that direction. We don't need to complicate ordinary life, but we can't make ordinary life separate from a spiritual one. Hebrews 11 is the Christian Bible's faith hall of fame. This is ground zero. This is so simple, I can quote it out of the King's James Version circa 1796, and you'll still absolutely get the point. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Said another way, faith is the things we see without a starter kit. The just shall live by faith. The just have no preset formula by which to receive the things they dream. The just do not live off belief. The just live from belief with action because faith leaves footprints. Hebrews 11 mentions story after story of really incredible people doing very incredible things. But honestly, the names in Hebrews 11 aren't really that important because faith assumes there is no starter pack. There is no history and there are no guarantees. It's not the names that matter then. It's the verbs. 
by faith we understand by faith we build by faith we condemn by faith we obey by faith we make our home by faith we offer by faith we embrace by faith we bless by faith we speak by faith we hide by faith we pass through by faith we welcome hebrews 11 concludes its introduction with a warning without faith it is impossible to please god oaks is not at risk because it does not have moments that feel spectacular it's that there enough spectacular moments our Tuesdays stop feeling supernatural and we don't notice. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Which means I can't wait until Sunday for God to notice the oil I carry and the oil I pour. One of the most famous lines in American movie history is, if you build it, they will come. It's baseball. Everything is magical. Fortunately, church planting in New York City is the least glamorous way to have spent a childhood. We had the blessing of the Baptist, but less so the favor of the New Yorkers. And there was never an easy answer to the question, what comes first? The people or the faith. Today, by faith, I'm making friends with a church filled with Texans on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. I've been to enough Baptist churches in my life to point out a Baptist church when I see one from a police lineup, but I respect they are savvy enough to call themselves non-denominational. Well done. They're Baptist. But I go for a few reasons. It's clear I feel a type of way about my childhood. There's baggage there. I need to unlearn some things, face some demons, unlearn a childhood of castles and generic soda called Mr. Pib. Two, the world is just too polarized. I've got to be the reconciliation I want to see in the world. Three, my father was a church planner in New York City 25 years ago. We were alone a lot, wondering if this church would work out, just happy to see a new face. So I want to be a new face this church gets to see and keep seeing on their quest to taking over the Barclays Center in five years. But I've lived this life, and I know it for sure. Five years feels really far when you're just a storefront with a few chairs and a dream. Every time I enter this willow windowless room on Atlantic Avenue, I go back to being just a little boy in a tiny room on Jamaica Avenue. Service begins at 6 p.m. The space fits about 40 people. On any given Sunday, about 20 or so people meet. I think this is special. Meeting on a Sunday on this windowless room is deja vu all over again. It's a simple service. Two songs, a prayer, a sermon, announcements. The pastor around my age, married with a baby on the way, explains that this church is pre-launch. The official opening is in September. The goal is to have 50 people be a part of their launch team, or people dedicated to participating, telling their friends, and volunteering. There are not 50 people currently on launch team. There is an internal conversation about whether they should add another service, which is totally fair. If you have 20 people in a space for 40 people during a pandemic, one service is absolutely enough. Except every week, the pastor explains their goal to have 50 people be a part of their launch team by September, which means mathematically 
something has to change. I hate speaking in a simplistic way because I'm just me. I don't know all the considerations. I don't know what a launch team is, and maybe my dad needed one. I don't know why 50 is the number they received from a dream or a vision or a focus group. 50 is a perfectly fine number. Ignore everything I'm about to say. I could be so wrong, but doing the math of the space and the capacity and COVID and the goal to have 50 people by September, doing the math, there needs to be three services. At present, 50 people cannot fit at one service. It just isn't possible. There is no space for that prayer to come true. Which means, by faith, we have to staff three services. By faith, we need hospitality teams from the original 20 to space out for three different times to greet people we've never met before. By faith, the website needs to explain they are the smallest church in New York City with these services. That's not even the worst tagline. Because when three services become five, it won't seem so jarring. Because that's just how things go around here. Believe this, it's not easy. The week you by faith start a second service, it'll be the least attended service of the month. It'll be so awkward. Nobody gave any warning to the pastor that everybody was going to go visit their grandmother in Houston. We'll be left with four people alone in a windowless room talking about substitutionary atonement. It'll suck. One service of 15 people beats three services with five. That's just math. But if there's a PowerPoint slide at the end of each service that says they want 50 people by September, by faith, we have to set up more chairs. The problem with the starter pack is that the starter pack does not make a difference in an outcome either way. By faith, anything is possible and by faith, nothing was going to happen that wasn't going to happen regardless. There were two spies who disagreed with the negative report. They said, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. There are so many reasons to be afraid. But even beyond that, there are just so many ways a church can go down. Hillsong East Coast had 30 services and their celebrity pastor allegedly was going on Tinder dates in Domino Park. It's not that I think a church needs to just have more services because a church needs to be showing it has faith. But the second you make a promised land out of population 50, there has to be an action attached to your declaration. This isn't about services or numbers of people. This is just if God is God and if God is pleased with us, then we by faith have to make moves that feel impossible because without faith, it is impossible to please God, which means with faith, it's possible to put out an extra seat or two and see what comes. One of Tyler's most forgettable moments as pastor of the church formerly known as Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg was describing giving away $10,000. This was not some sort of spiritual flex. 
And it didn't have a simple, fuzzy, happy conclusion. It was just a fact of his life. At one point, the voice of God told him someone needed money, and he had a chat with his wife and prayed she'd understand. And he gave away $10,000. I sat in the crowd, and it made me so sad. Tyler may be rich in wisdom and well-to-do in an American way, but that's not an easy check to write on a random Wednesday. But the just shall live by faith. He isn't a contemplative charismatic because he needs a modern aesthetic on top of traditional orthodoxy. He's living for the voice of God and living accordingly. He wrote the check and kept it moving. Still, it made me so sad. I offered him my tickets to see a concert at Carnegie Hall the next week. Months later, I got word he bought a house in Greenpoint. And it felt like one of those stories prosperity gospel preachers say in order to get people to text the number on the screen to sow a seed financially. It's that tidy ending to a radical act of generosity. We live for that. It's math. Tyler was obedient. He ended up in a better situation than when he started. Everybody loves the happy ending. It's the ending we're all looking for. That happy ending lasted maybe 18 months. Because that is as it's written. To just live by faith. Which means Tyler's probably selling that house now. Sometimes living by faith means moving to Oregon. If my dad was correct, Tyler will make this move until the next, and then the next, and then the next. This is his life now. And if the Lord is pleased with Tyler, he'll be fine. Which isn't to say I don't think will be fine, though. You can't replace people who live by faith with people with the right degree and the right theology. That doesn't work for me and won't work for this city. Enough people have ideas about how this is all supposed to go, and they can place radio ads in Yankee games. I don't need the starter kit to pop open another thing worth not noticing. Because when the oil is poured over the head of Jesus, people notice. People notice faith first. Some of Jesus' first missionaries were given a simple command. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Sometimes we consider the nouns more than the activity. When it's simple. Freely you have received. Freely give. When they return, they're surprised only in a way when you assume your life in the kingdom had a starter pack. And yet, you never even used it. And so they're delirious. They live alone, walking by faith, and come back to Jesus only to say, even demons are subject to us in your name. When Jesus responds, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's not shaming his peoples for doing the things he commissioned them to do. He's just explaining. I'm actually not surprised. It will feel surprising to us who attend Mission City Church when there are 18 people. Now, that first Sunday, there's three services. It'll surprise some people, but it won't surprise God. It will surprise us when Tyler gets a book on the New York Times bestseller years in five years. It won't surprise God. Oaks, Brooklyn will become Oaks, Queens, and then Oaks, LA. And this will surprise me, but it won't surprise God. This only feels surprising because we really 
didn't have any evidence for any of the above. But an invisible God is only known by activity, not through story or through history. Which means our life is not marked by history either, just the living we do by faith. Whatever plan God has for the earth is not like anything God had in mind when he looks at it now. Which means we have to accept we aren't seeing it either. The just shall live by faith means life feels like life when it's lived in ordinary ways that don't make sense. Tyler doesn't get to write one big check and keep telling that same story and writing that same book about it for the next 40 years. He has to find new checks to cash, new sermons in new cities to preach, seeds to sow, and pray for a harvest that will come without him watching. It really is true. The names in Hebrews 11 don't matter. It's the verbs. And I have a lot of verbs I've lived. And I have a lot of verbs I'm proud to have witnessed. By faith, our blue Toyota minivan drove over 100,000 miles. By faith, Eric Woner preached sermon after sermon to a proud convinced they could give it themselves to go to a city that wasn't asking for a lecture in the first place. By faith, I write stories to share that didn't make sense at the time. By faith, I record them in a windowless room on Willoughby Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. There are certain gospels worth talking about, and other gospels worth living. Faith makes those gospels possible. The gospels you live are the ones worth packing into the Toyota. So here's to the next 100,000 miles. As it is written, the just shall drive by faith.